by visual aid. It's lovely to be back. I thought your little sketch was terrific. Well done, ladies and gentlemen. A few days ago, I was standing in the middle of Dartmoor, and the call of the cuckoo was resonating mellifluously across the landscape. And we were walking through a carpet of bluebells. Can you imagine it in the middle of a moor? It was just wonderful. The granite outcrops were smiling at us. They weather, of course, and the kaolin clay, which is the glue that holds the minerals together, gets washed down, washed down to the coast, hence the, Klein, the China clay works in certain parts of Cornwall and Devon. All part of God's beautiful handiwork. As we walked, the willow warbler, warblers were sounding incessantly and loudly. That's one of the bird's nests that the cuckoo lays its egg in, you know, I expect. And it is able, at will, to match the colour of its egg to those already in the host nest. And if it spots a willow tit instead and chooses that nest, it is able to modify the colouring of the shell and the speckles on the outside to match that. Even David Attenborough cannot explain that. <laughs> Our Father God organised it elegantly and the cuckoo has enough sense to fly off to Africa during our winter where it's nice and warm and there are plenty of insects to eat. And it doesn't even bother to make its own nest. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. All the animals of the forest are mine, God tells us. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it. So we can confidently assert, unlike those who narrate our natural history programs, that actually God planned it, God designed it, God created it, and God sustains it. It belongs to him. And this, of course, provides the background to our attitude to the world we live in. Now, I'm not going to call it nature, certainly not Mother Nature, because that has overtones of pantheism, the notion that there are somehow supernatural forces behind the mountains and the trees and some of the animals, etc. Uh, primitive peoples believe that sort of stuff. That's not biblical. I'm not even going to call it the environment, because that has connotations of something that we can control and manipula manipulate at will. We talk about the built environment. Let's call it by its correct title, creation, God's creation. We live in a society that wants to erase God's fingerprints on everything. We need to 
provide a counter narrative and assert God's creation. In Colossians, we read these lovely words, through him, Jesus, God created everything in the heavens and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together, as we have just sung. That is, he sustains it. Why is it that the protons in the centre of each atom, which are positive, do not get attracted to the electrons which are buzzing around, which are negative? Physicists have been scratching their head for years and tweaking quantum mechanics to try and figure it out. God sustains it all. I was once on holiday with our family as a teenager on the tip of Cornwall when the Torrey Canyon went aground on the Seven Stones Reef halfway between Land's End and the City Isles. Some of you will remember it, one of the worst oil disasters that Britain has experienced. The waves in Senon Cove were unable to break because of the thick layer of oil resting heavily. It was a ghastly sight. And I watched as the jet bombers bombed the ship, 200,000 tonnes of crude oil, finest quality, and the ship had actually broken in half and a good portion of the cargo had scattered across the sea and come ashore in Cornwall. And uh, Hundreds of tons of detergent were sprayed on the uh, oil, on the sea and on the beaches to try and disperse it. And I saw what for me was the biggest bonfire that I have seen in my life, even bigger than the one in Torquay Marina that happened yesterday when a mere seven tons of diesel got burnt and a super yacht sank when it exploded. Did you know that the detergent sprayed on the sea did more damage to the, the ecosystem than the oil itself? How strange is that? We know that now. What was damaged was the stuff in the, uh, the, the, the smaller creatures, the microorganisms that, of course, we cannot see so readily. Let's come to the Exxon Valdez. Oil companies have been in the news, so I feel justified in being contemporary. The Exxon Valdez was carrying rather more than, I think, a quarter of a million tons of crude in Alaska. And it went aground and huge quantities spilt into the bay. And there was great fear that the ecosystem would never recover. Why? Because it's so cold in Alaska. I'm pleased to tell you that within two years, the sea otter population had recovered to normal levels, and some of the seabirds were well on the way to recovering their populations as well. It's as if God had so arranged things that the ecosystem could absorb and degrade and correct. So before we beat ourselves up over the creation, which as the human race we have spoiled in some ways, let's remember who's in charge. I have a visual aid for you. This is 
a chair which I made for our two-year-old some 40 years ago. It has survived three children, nine grandchildren, and countless other children that have passed through our house. It's received some fairly rough treatments. In fact, one of the legs broke off and I had to make another one. I've, I've made it all out of scrap pieces. And if you ask me, I can tell you where I sourced the wood from. Recycling, part of conserving our environment. Wood is good stuff. Even the arm had to be rebuilt because of a design flaw that was my responsibility. And I underestimated how harsh children can be in treating my prized possession. Now, if I, as the person who designed and made this out of scrap materials, can fix it when it goes wrong or gets broken, how much more can our Heavenly Father do the same with the wonderful world that he has made, or are we being presumptuous in assuming that? Uh, let's talk about the oil companies a little more. It is generally assumed that oil companies are evil and the black liquid they get out of the ground is evil and we should have nothing to do with it and we should all be driving electric cars. I have a question for you. How many miles of tarmac road are there in the British Isles? Tens of thousands, I suspect. Even Devon has got a good, good number of those. And how often do those tarmac roads have to be resurfaced? Once every 20 years, perhaps more if it's the M25. <laughs> and where does the tar come from for the resurfacing so that the electric cars that you and I are going to drive in the future, where does that tar come from? My friends, Noah, when he was building his ark, was the first person to use crude oil. Well, pitch actually come from a, somewhere where the crude oil was seeping out of the ground. There were, and still are in some parts of the world, pitch ponds where you can go and scoop up a handful of tar if you wish. And the ark, as you know, was lined inside and out to make it waterproof. I'm going to be spending much of this coming week living on a boat. It's the old gaffer's annual rally. That's not a reference to me and the crew I'm with. <laughs> it's a reference to the boat. I, I digress. Could you bring me the green book, please, Nima? Um, I want us to be aware that we need to come to, the, to creation care with a degree of humility. One of my favourite author, authors, the author of this book, is Melanie Phillips. She's written this book, The World Turned Upside Down, and she debunks so much that is false in modern thinking and philosophy. She'd have a lot to say about woke mentality. She's not even a Christian, but she does point out the value of Christian uh, thinking and Bible teaching. She's actually Jewish and she lives in Jerusalem. And she points out that so many of the predictions and the statistics that were used in the early stages of the climate change debate were flawed. And 
you know, we hear that unless we take action, you know, all the major world cities are going to disappear under the rising sea levels by the end of the century. Statements like that are based on certain assumptions which are vague, sometimes wild, and to do with extrapolating where we're going. The carbon dioxide in the air that we're told is so evil in leading to global warming, its natural level is only 0.02% of the air that we breathe. And if that CO2 were not there, when we go to sleep, um, our respiratory system would not be stimulated to continue breathing, and we would stop breathing. In other words, without traces of CO2 in the air, we would all die, and our res respiration would not be stimulated to be sustained. God knows what he is doing. Sure, CO2 levels are rising. Um, when I was early in my science teaching career, we were all worried about the depletion of the ozone layer. Do you remember that? Especially over Antarctic, where it could be detected without other pollutants. Do we hear about the depletion of the ozone layer anymore? Uh, it was the uh, refrigerants that we use made of fluorochlorocarbons that were eating away at the ozone. By the way, Ozone is what you smell if you are near an electric spark because the discharge of the electricity converts the O2 normal oxygen molecules into the O3 ozone, which de degrades and decomposes and is made again naturally. So much of our world is in a state of equilibrium, but he holds it all together. Let's come back to scripture. <clears throat> God saw all that he had made, and look, it was very good. God speaks to Job at the end of that lovely book and asks Job the following, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports it? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Do you pick up the idea that there was great satisfaction and pleasure in the process of creation? And of course, our enjoyment of God's handiwork is all the more enriched because it is his handiwork. The whole of creation was insufficient for God to express himself once. So great is he. Proverbs 8. I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created. How I rejoiced with the human family. By the work, we know the workmen. Famous artists can be recognised in their Art. I love watching birds on Dartmoor standing on the top of a weathered dry stone walk, beautifully decked out in lichen and moss, was a red start with its beautiful red flanks and its grey head. Unique 
part of God's creation on the coast, I saw the searle bunting, now extinct in Britain, apart from a few stretches of coastline in South Devon and South Cornwall. But our God gave it its yellow and black stripy head. It's a bit like a yellow hammer for those of us that know about these, these things. I have struggled to prepare for today's talk. Nima, being more intelligent, is... <laughs> he'll give you the real deal in a moment. We must be careful not to make God's word an ecology textbook or superimpose our climate change agenda on God's instruction. But by studying the Bible and by rehearsing what I am right now, we are hopefully cultivating a right attitude to God's creation, which can help inform how we tend it and steward it. Your minister uh, supervising you stole the best part of the Bible when he preached from Genesis chapter 2, which gives us the nugget of our biblical mandate for stewarding and tending the world that God has placed us in. Yeah, but I have to say, last night when I was on my knees weeding the vegetable patch, I filled an entire wheelbarrow full of weeds. I was ruining the day when God cursed the earth and caused it to bring forth brambles and stinging nettles. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. I like that. Do you, do you realize that under the earth there's nothing holding it there? Well, there are laws of physics, of course. I shall be sailing on a boat this week, as we've said, and we will have to monitor the tides rather carefully. In fact, going through the Solent on Wednesday, it'll be the tide which will be moving us because there's not much wind to do it. Did you know that we can say with considerable precision the time of high tide at Portsmouth 100 years from now? How remarkable is that? We live in an ordered world because our God is an ordered God. Did you notice at the beginning of creation there was chaos and the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep? And creation was all about God sorting it out compartmentalizing it, separating water from land and so on. He fashioned it, he formed it, and he filled it, and he did so real beautiful. I've only seen 115 different bird species this year, uh, and that's less than half of the ones that are in this country alone. God loves what he made, and he made such incredible variety, delightful. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds and the clouds don't burst with the weight. His spirit made the heavens beautiful. These are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? He decided how hard the winds should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the law for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. God's voice is glorious in the thunder. We can't even imagine the greatness of his power. He directs the snow to fall on the earth and tells the rain to pour down. He loads the clouds with moisture and they flash with lightning. The cloud churn about at his direction. 
who said the climate was beyond his control. And now we come to our response. Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy, if you carefully obey the commands I'm giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul, then he will send the rains in their proper seasons. You can bring in your harvests of grain and new wine and olive oil. He will give you lush pasture land for your livestock, and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. But... Be careful, don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. If you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the sky and hold back the rain. The ground will fail to produce its harvests. Then you will quickly die in the good land the Lord is giving you. And if, you, if we know our Old Testament narrative, we will know that God used uh, lack of rain, drought, as one of the ways of disciplining his disobedient people. Jeremiah says, how long must this land mourn? Even the grass in the fields have withered. The wild animals and birds have disappeared because of the evil in the land. So we see there is a direct connection between the health of God's creation in the world we live in and our behaviour, the way we live. David Attenborough can't explain that and neither can I. There is a spiritual law at work here which... God seems to have put in place. The welfare of the land and animals is dependent on a right relationship between God and his people. Wait a minute, I hear you say. We cannot apply God's leading dealings with his covenant people Israel and apply them to our own secular world and to the British government's policies. True, but God will hold us to account for the moral behaviour and understanding that even a secular society has. The prophets of the Old Testament didn't just speak to the nation of Israel or to Judah. Uh, there are numerous chapters in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah calls to account all the surrounding nations for their behaviour because God will judge everyone according to the moral understanding they have and their understanding of truth and justice. Even President Putin will have to give an account one day of what he is up to. Now, are the ladies sitting very comfortably on the sofa still with me? I have, I have brought a handsome young assistant with me in case, in case anybody is flagging at this point. Nima, over to you. Well, friends, what an honor to be here. Praise God. What a profound question in Luke's gospel that was shown on screen. Can we be entrusted to look after another, another person's property? Well, and that suggests about the climate change context, the climate emergency. Well, the world will resoundingly say no. Even amongst in, in Christian circles, there are vicars gluing themselves to public transport, believing that uh, we're failing in our responsibilities to be good stewards of God's creation. And to echo what Andy said, we hear distressing things on the news, rising temperatures, 
biodiversity dwindling, pollution increasing, and poor people in developing parts of the world being disproportionately affected. Did you know that the country of Bangladesh is only 30 feet above sea level? Now, there is angst, there is worry, emergency, there's language of apocalypse. But friends, let's see what scripture has to say on this issue. And I'd like to revisit God's command in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1, verse 28, God gives the commands to humans, the pinnacle of his creation, be fruitful and multiply. It's a command, be fruitful and multiply. And again, in Genesis 9, after God had flooded the earth and Noah and his family and all the animals were the remnant of all creation. God again reestablished the command. Noah, be fruitful and multiply. God allowed humanity a dominion over the created order. And even in the book of Deuteronomy, we read that there is scriptural authority for the right to dig up the ground and extract copper, precious minerals. That's Deuteronomy 6, 8. So it looks like scriptures on the side of the big mining companies and the oil companies. So in light of that, command, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. And now that we see that and we're becoming more aware of climate change, climate emergency, has God given us a flawed instruction? Are we, are we doing something wrong? Well, friends, I'd like to suggest that God hasn't given us a flawed instruction. But what can be flawed is our interpretation of that scripture in the book of Genesis. Because posing the question, is there such thing as too much fruitfulness? Yes, there can be. There can be too much fruitfulness. There can be extremes in subduing the earth and having dominion over the created order. Too much fruitfulness can lead to inequality and also the exhaustion of resource. Sometimes there has to be moderation. Have you heard the phrase, too much of a good thing can become a God thing, lowercase g? Well, the Hebrew nation, as they had just been liberated from Egypt, were reminded by Moses not to hoard too much manna from above, from God. And in fact, God's instruction to us is not flawed. In fact, it's perfect. It's majestic. I'd encourage you, if you have time later, uh, to look at Leviticus 25. It's a very powerful piece of scripture, very useful authority for potential farmers or gardeners amongst us here. Because 
in Leviticus 25, there's a command also to give the land Shabbat, to give the land rest. You see, we can cultivate the land, we can seek out its fruits, vegetables, fruits, but the land needs rest because it is a created thing. And so in a seven-year cycle, for every six years that the land is intensely cultivated, bringing out fruits and vegetables, feeding peoples, there is a year of Shabbat. Isn't that remarkable how we as humans, we have one day of rest and how God has also given an instruction that the land itself is to have a year of Shabbat. In fact, the Old Testament uh, scholar Christopher Wright puts it this way on the Shabbat for land. And he says, subduing the earth is not a license to exploit it, but to respect and protect it. See, we are called to be stewards. We're to have responsibility. We're to have servant dominion. It sounds, sounds contradictory, but they hold together, such as the beauty of God's instruction. The whole earth is a gift to humanity, but it's still held in God's ownership. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, interesting, but as for me and this whole business of the climate emergency, I'm just waiting for Christ to return, and then I shall be raptured, seated in his glory. I have no need for these obligations and Old Testament scriptures. Well, friends, I have to encourage you and also break it to you. We'll be here, you know, during the times of tribulations. Unfortunately, we won't be conveniently raptured. We're going to have to stick it out together. We, we as Christians, we go through times of tribulations. I mean, I could give an example as well. When the Hebrews were promised the promised land, they were not granted the promised land instantaneously. They had to journey through to, to, to that promised land. And in the same way, we have to journey together. There's a key bit of scripture that I want to encourage you with. Because for all the debate about climate emergency, there's a restlessness in the world to solve it, to do it in its own strength, to do it with its own power. But friends, I want to read to you Psalm 104, because Andy has eloquently explained that we have a creator God who established a created universe that we also have a God who is at work now, who is sus the sustainer. He is, present tense verb, sustaining. Friends, I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles open, to look at Psalm 104, verse 10 onwards. That's Psalm 104, verse 10. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. 
It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. I could continue in this beauty of scripture, but uh, just to jump to verse 24, just to emphasize, for emphasis on this point. This is Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, O Lord? Praise God. He is at work. Isn't that reassuring? Don't you feel relieved? He is working. He is the sustainer. He is sustaining. Right. On to application. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is very poetic and very eloquent, but what does this mean practically? Scripture can be beautiful, but how can we practically be stewards. Well, I was recently at a Baptist Assembly conference in Bournemouth. You may be aware that every year the Baptist denomination gathers uh, for a, an annual discussion and review. Well, this year it was at, by the beach at Bournemouth and many issues were discussed. And there I also saw an organisation called Boyne, meaning good, the Baptist Union Environmental Network. Friends, I'd encourage you to check out their resources, what they're encouraging churches to do. I've got a wealth of literature and leaflets at your disposal. So if there are any church charity trustees here wanting to learn more about how churches corporately can become eco-churches, do take these materials from me. In fact, there is a leaflet eco-church from the organization Arosha. You may be familiar with that a charity. That charity is about Christian stewardship in a church context. How can churches be eco-churches? But beyond corporately, in our everyday lives, how can we live out stewardship? Friends, I'm so encouraged to see workers of Christ, gardeners of Christ. This is God's call to us, is to be stewards of his created world. Well, I have a prop like Andy, not quite as masterful as that uh, chair, beautifully crafted, of course. I have a bamboo cup. It's a, it's a dinosaur cup, but it's not prehistoric. I take this with me. Every time I seek a coffee, a daily fix, I present this, and therefore I don't have a need for plastic cups, and I, I'm careful that way. I also try to uh, walk where I can. Now, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a sparkling ambassador of the, um, of the eco-secular world, you know. I didn't arrive here by an electric car. These clothes aren't elegant and fine cotton. But, friends, be encouraged. We can be 
salt and light in this way. We can be witnesses to the world. We could buy fair trade products. We could encourage the community and be a witness to the community by arranging for litter picking, community action. And we can also think about the foods that we buy and the impact that is having. But to conclude, what we should have core at our minds, Christians, is that God, God is at work. God is sustaining. I'd like to end with a quote, again from the Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright. He puts it this way. We care for creation because we love the God to whom it belongs. Because we love to see God's glory enhanced through creation and God's pleasure in creation served through our loving care. The task has a validity in its own right, not merely as a way of serving our own needs. Andy, I'd like to invite you for, to give us the benediction, please. We're going to sing again, aren't we? Uh, so uh, the benediction is not yet. Benediction is not yet. Um, one or two other thoughts. Maybe others have made these suggestions before. If you ever have opportunity to plant a tree, do so. It's good for the environment. It's good for the atmosphere. Um, as with that chair, it's good for us to mend and recycle things where possible rather than uh, just throw it away. Our microwave door failed due to a mechanical fault and a tiny piece of plastic had broken. So what did we do? Did we throw it in the bin and order a better model pronto? No, I figured out eventually how to remove this built-in device from the kitchen and eventually located the problem and with the help of a glue gun and some pieces of wood and a bit of perspiration, it's fully functional again. Saved myself significant money. Uh, yesterday I went to play golf, uh, to play tennis. I was tired, but so I left the car in the garage and walked over the hill and walked the mile or so to the tennis courts and back again. One of the first things we did when we bought our house was to dig a big hole in the garden and make ourselves a pond. If you want to improve biodiversity, we are told that is the best thing you can do. You may not be able to dig a big hole, just find a dustbin lid and insert it into the ground upside down and put a few things in it, and before you know it, you'll have the pond skaters arrive. Apparently, when you fill a new pond, within half an hour, the pond skaters come. Isn't that astonishing? I also, uh, when out walking, like to remove litter from some of my favourite places, as much from my own enjoyment as anybody else's. So let's summarise. Creation is good. Creation is God's handiwork. It's principally for his enjoyment, but he wants us to enjoy it also. And he wants us to look after it because it belongs to him. Thank you.
Thank you, Nima. Thank you, Andy. So during our prayer times, we have different ways of doing it. Sometimes we break off into small groups. Sometimes we pray quietly. Sometimes we pray out loud. And we're going to use a song that, uh, that we know quite well, uh, Beauty for Brokenness. We're going to use that as our prayer today. So um, I know that you're super mindful of